All right, does anyone need a Bible? Raise your hand high if you need a Bible. Raise your hand. We do this every week. Someone will come around. They'll pass you a Bible. We do this for two reasons. The first reason is we just like for you to have a Bible in your hand so you can see that the words I'm reading are not just words I made up or not some crazy translation of Anthony or something like that, okay? But then secondly, if you're here and you're not a Christian, or, you, or maybe you just don't even own a Bible and you are a Christian, we want to give you this Bible. Keep this Bible. Uh, it's our gift to you. So if you do own a Bible and you're borrowing one, just set it up front or on, uh, at the Connect desk on your way out. So um, today I got a sinking uh, music stand, but that's all right. Uh, <laughs> So we are in this book of Acts. If you're new to redemption, we like to go through books of the Bible together. And the reason we like to go through books of the Bible together is it gives us an opportunity to, to preach through the whole counsel of God. Because I know if that if me and Vince were just picking series, which we'll, we'll do a series here or there from time to time, if we were just doing that, though... I think we would just pick a lot of our favorite topics over and over again. And so we've been in this book of Acts, and we've been covering a lot of different topics with it. And just to give you a little recap, since I know there's newer faces in here, Acts starts off where the four Gospels, the four stories of Jesus' life ends. Jesus has just resurrected. He's hanging out with his friends, with his disciples, and he says to them at the beginning of Acts, he says, listen, I'm going to go away, but the Spirit, the Holy Spirit is going to come. He's going to live in you guys, and you're going to have power because of the Holy Spirit. And you guys are going to actually proclaim the gospel to the ends of the earth. You're first going to be here in Jerusalem, then in Judea, then in Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And so we've spent a few months here in Acts, and we've seen that happen. We saw the gospel start uh, spreading in Jerusalem. And then what's more is we saw the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 come and give the early believers this power from on high. And they began to share the gospel and do miracles and, and do all kinds of things because of the Holy Spirit's power. And so we begin to see that the book of Acts doesn't just mean the acts of God's early believers, but it really means the acts of God through the early church. The acts of God through the early church. And so as uh, Acts has gone on, first it was the Jewish people that began to believe. Then it was some Hellenists, which were kind of Jewish people. And then it became, it, there was this like Ethiopian guy that, that got saved. And then Samaritans. And, and then we get to this place called Antioch, which is all the world in one place is what that city was described as. And lots and lots of people are getting saved in all these different areas. We're seeing the gospel move to the ends of the earth, just like Jesus talked about. And then Vince, he talked last week about, about this kind of uh, growing conflict in the church. And as we've seen through Acts, there is conflict as the gospel grows. There's conflict with the early church and the authorities, like the governmental authorities or religious authorities. They, they don't like what the early church is peddling. But then also, there, there's conflict within the church a little bit. There's sometimes some conflicts like, well, how does this work or how should we do this? And last week we saw this, this big conflict in the early church that we see all throughout the New Testament, that there was these group of, of Jewish people who became believers who said, listen, I know that we believe in Jesus now. I know that he's done these things, but the Gentiles who are becoming Christians, the non-Jewish people that are becoming Christians, there's something they need to do if, this is really, if they're really going to live this thing out. And they said they need to get circumcised. Because they're, they're saying, hey, that was the mark for us in the Old Testament. In our Bible, that's the mark for us in order to be God's people. 
And so Paul and Peter and James and and a bunch of the believers get together and they begin to talk through this idea. Do we need to be circumcised? And as I think they probably poured over the Old Testament text and talked to each other, they realized that no, they do not need to be circumcised anymore. That in fact, that we, because of the Holy Spirit in us, our hearts are now circumcised. And that we, as God's people, because we live so differently, we are the circumcision. We are that different mark to the rest of the world. And so that we need to live that way. And I thought, I thought Vince did such a great job last week just speaking into us our identity in Christ. Like I went away encouraged, thinking, man, Jesus has done it all. Jesus has saved me. And so if, if that's some, a way you need to be encouraged, you didn't hear that message, go back and listen to that. So now in Acts, though, we're about 15 years in, 15 to 20 years in based on, like, who's the smartest person, and it's not me, okay? So we're about 15 years in, and Paul has probably been a Christian at this point about 13, 14 years based on what scholar you're talking to. And I think we get this cool picture of the church 15 years in. And the reason I say that is because I want us to take note that we're 15 years in. Because all the time, I think we read the book of Acts, and we don't realize it takes place over 30 years. We read it like one event after another, and then it's like two weeks later, and then it's like, here we are in the rest of the Bible, right? And we think that these events are just happening, boom, 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 boom. But this is over a 30-year period, and I think that just helps us to understand the book of Acts better and to understand what's going on in the book of Acts. Think, Think with me. What were you doing 15 years ago? Just think with me so that you can kind of have a gauge of time, right? 15 years ago, where were you? I'm, I'm 29 right now, so 29 minus 15 is 14, okay? So you're like, man, he's young. Um, so for, when I was 14, I was, you know, I was trying to get to Circle K a lot, get hot Cheetos. Uh, I was trying to get rides from my parents and from my friends' parents, like, everywhere, right? I was playing a lot of video games, so now we flash forward to 15 years later, and, and, and I can drive myself to get hot Cheetos, okay? And, um, but a lot has changed in that 15 years. A lot has changed in that 15 years. And I think today we're going to get this cool picture of the church 15 years in. Because I think sometimes as believers, we, we get... We become believers, and then the first two years are kind of outstanding, and then after that, we kind of plateau, but I think we don't really see that in the book of Acts 15 years in, and so we're going to look at these two texts texts in Acts, these two passages in Acts chapter 15 today, if you want to turn there. I'm going to give you a little structure of what today's going to look like. There's the, we're going to go through these two passages together, and we're just going to study them together. We're going to look at them together, and I'm going to notice some things together. And then I, as I was reading these passages, I found a theme that I think that connects these two passages. And I think this theme is what God wants to speak to us today. And out of this theme, I think there's kind of four ways we need to change our thinking. And we're going to talk about those four ways. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 15 right now. If you're new to church or you don't know how the Bible works, the first like two-thirds it feels like, but it's really the first part is the Old Testament, and then it starts with the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and then right after those Gospels, which tell the story of Jesus' life, it's the book of Acts, which uh, tells the story, really, of the, the early church and the early believers, okay? 
So we're going to be in Acts chapter 15, verse 36. Let me just get into it with you guys. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus, but Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches. Let's stop there for now. So this is the first passage that we're getting into. Now, Paul and Barnabas, they've been together basically from the start. They've been on this missionary journey together and they say, hey, let's go back to all the churches that we kind of helped founded and start, and let's just see how we're, they're doing. Let's strengthen them. And Barnabas says, man, that's a great idea. I would like to bring John Mark, who we find in other parts of the Bible, is actually Barnabas' cousin. So Barnabas says, I, let's bring my cousin, John Mark. Now, Paul, he goes, well, here's the thing. And if you go to Acts 13, verse 13 specifically, you're going to find that What happened was John Mark had started this missionary journey with them, went to Pamphylia, and we don't know what happens, but he just said, hey, I'm going home. And he just goes back to Jerusalem, and he stays there. And so Paul says, hey, Barnabas, I don't know if you remember this, but John Mark left us. So I'm not, I don't want to bring him. I don't want to bring him. He left us. He's dead to me, right? He, I'm reading in between the lines there. And, uh, And so... Paul and Barnabas get into this disagreement, and they both come from good places. Like, Paul has the wisdom of saying, hey, I don't think John Mark's going to persevere, and we need people that are going to persevere. And Barnabas is probably also coming from a good place. He's saying, listen, he's my cousin. I love him. He's matured a bit since then. I think he would be a great help to us. God, I think is our God really believes in second chances. Paul, remember, you kill people. And, and, and so they get in this argument that I don't know how long it lasts, but they get in this argument, and it's so bad that they eventually say, man, I don't know if we can work together anymore. And Paul goes one way, and Barnabas goes another way, and they both go off ministering the gospel. Now, here's a side note. This is not my sermon, but I, we, we need to talk about it. Is we need to know that conflict happens in the church. It happens in the church. Paul, who wrote, like, the most of the New Testament, pretty much, he's getting in this conflict with one of his, I assume, best friends, and, we don't, and I like that Luke doesn't say who was right or who was wrong or the specifics of the argument. Because I think Luke is just reporting what is happening. Luke is just reporting what's happening. And in the early church, sometimes conflict happens. Now listen, I think sometimes what happens is new believers or even mature believers get to a church and they keep going to a church. But then they leave the second conflict happens. They go, man, no, sh- Christians are supposed to be exactly like Jesus, and if they're not, I am out of here, right? And don't, you, you can, we can laugh, but that's how we feel sometimes. And so we'll just leave, and we'll just bail. And so conflict, we need to know as Christians, if we're a group of people that say, Jesus, I need you to save me because I'm a sinner, and that group of people gets together, there's going to be some sinning towards one another at times, and there's going to be conflict towards one another. So that happens in the church but also what happens in the church is forgiveness. 
Because later on, we see that Paul, start in other letters, talks about John Mark in a good light. He talks about Barnabas in a good light. So we don't know how the restoration happened, but some, some way that forgiveness happened, restoration happened. And so we need to know that too, that conflict happens because we're human and we're on this progressive sanctification process where God is making us more and more like his son. But we also need to know forgiveness happens too in the midst of those conflicts where we restore the relationship. So Paul and Barnabas have this conflict. I guess the believers there just said, man, you guys have it so bad. We, we know you both love Jesus. You guys both go on these different missionary journeys. Maybe this is what God has for you. And so that's kind of our first passage. And we see at the start of this next passage, this is going to be the start or the beginning of Paul's second missionary journey. So we're going to get right Acts 16, verse 1. So Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So we get to the beginning of of Paul's second missionary journey, gets to these places, Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and he meets another guy. He brings this guy Silas with him, but then he meets this guy Timothy, who's well thought of in the community, who's a believer, and, and so so Paul says, hey, Timothy, I want you to come on this missionary journey with me. Will you come with me? And Timothy's like, yeah, sure. And Paul's like, hey, you got to get circumcised first so that Jewish people will listen to you. Because at the time, Jewish people would not associate with Gentiles or unclean people. And so if you were not circumcised, which, again, if you don't know what that means, talk to your mom and dad. I don't want to say it here. <laughs> Uh, or talk to me after the service. I don't know. Um, I can let you know. But they wouldn't even talk to people that weren't circumcised because they would be unclean. But if you were circumcised, they'd say, okay, we'll talk. I love to imagine how this conversation went with, with Paul and Timothy. Like, Paul was just like, hey, uh, Timothy. And Timothy's like, hey, yeah, what's, what's up, Paul? Oh, well, hey, I, I think you're a great guy. I think you'd be great on our mission. Would you like to come with us and do some ministry? And I'm sure Timothy was like, yeah, man, that would, that would be great. I'd love to. One thing, though. <laughs> are you circumcised? <laughs> why? <laughs> right? Like, there's no, no. There's like, why are you asking me this right now? And so, anyways, just, I'm uh, sorry. I read the Bible a little too closely sometimes, and I just start to imagine. And so, Paul convinces Timothy eventually to get circumcised. We don't know how long it takes. Timothy gets circumcised. They start doing ministry in those areas, and more and more people are saved. It's amazing. It's a really interesting story. And these two passages, they don't seem like they go together, right? We have this one passage at the end of 15 where this conflict happens, and it almost, it's sad, you know, to see these two guys who are, who are really good friends have this conflict. And then we see this next passage where Paul has some new friends, this guy Timothy, who Paul's going to write two letters to, and he gets circumcised in order to reach the lost people there. And I, I, as I was looking at these passages, 
I, I was looking for a theme. I was looking if there was anything that connected them, and I think there is. I think there's this theme that connects them. And I think the theme that connects these two passages is this, is that God's people are serious about God's mission. Okay, God's people really, really care about God's mission. We see this in both passages. In the first passages, both Barnabas and Paul really cared about God's mission. None of them were saying, hey, let's not do God's mission anymore. They had a disagreement about how it should be carried out. They really cared about it. Over in the second passage, we see that, that they care so much about God's mission that they go move to these other new places and cities, and Timothy even gets circumcised in order to live out God's mission. And I think that's the theme for us today, is that, that God's people really care about God's mission. And I think, I think that's what it was like for Paul, because he, he took this book, and he, they had the Old Testament back then, and, and he saw it not as a bunch of rules, and then these rules are what get you to heaven, but what he saw it as was this true story of God reconciling all things to himself. God's mission is to reconcile all things. He wants to reconcile the whole earth. And at the, I think the apex of his creation and the apex of his reconciliation is the human heart. Because the human heart is what caused this whole mess to begin with. And so Jesus is in the business. His mission is to come and reconcile all things and redeem all things. And God's people are serious about that. If you've put your faith in Jesus, all through Acts, we see that God's people are really, really serious about God redeeming all things, God reconciling all things, God, the gospel going to places it hasn't been yet. God's people are serious about God's mission. They really care about it. And so today, I think if we're going to be a people that are serious about God's mission, I think there's four ways we need to change our thinking when it comes to God's mission. Four ways we need to start to think through God's mission. And you guys, we've been in Acts like a few months now, and we're going to be in Acts for a few more months. And I think it could be easy to go, man, mission again? Living out God's mission again? Like we're hearing this too much. But for whatever reason, God has us going through the book of Acts, and all through the book of Acts, it drips with God's mission unfolding to the whole earth. And so take a moment to go, man, God, okay, what do you want to teach me about your mission? And I think today, with these four thoughts, four ways to change how we think about God's mission, I think it will make us more mature in God's mission. You know, I, I think it's no coincidence that it's 15 years into Acts. 15 years in, this is how they're living out God's mission. This is how serious they are about God's mission. So I'm going to take a drink, and then we're going to talk about these four thoughts. It's dry out there, guys. <clears throat> so these four thoughts, four ways we th should think about God's mission, if we're going to be serious, if we're going to be God's church who is serious about God's mission, cares about his mission to reconcile all things. The first thought is this. All of you in here, if you've put your faith in Jesus, you need to realize that God wants to use you to reconcile all things. God wants to use you for his mission. 
every single person in here, God wants to use you for his mission. Not just the people on stage, not just our greeters, not just people that have a really cool testimony, but God wants to use each and every one of you for his mission. Because I think sometimes we don't really think that. We go, oh, that doesn't match my personality. I can't do that. I'm not that kind of person. But God wants to redeem the whole earth, not just the people who are like-minded, not just the people that look the same, not just the people that think the same and act the same. He wants to redeem all the earth, and so because of that, he wants to use each and every one of you and your different talents and giftings and thoughts and ideas to help in the process of reconciling all things. So think through that idea. When we become Christians, our identity changes. Our identity changes. We become in Christ. Christ essentially is our, our, our identity. So, so because of that, different things happen. Like we become sons and daughters of God. Like before it says we're enemies of God. But then God adopts us and we become his sons and his daughters. Another thing that happens is God, when he looks at us, instead of seeing us as the sinful people we are, he sees his son's righteousness. He sees Jesus on us. So our identity changes. And another way our identity changes is in regards to mission. We all become ministers of reconciliation. We all become ambassadors for Christ. It used to be in the Old Testament that priests would be the people that mediated between man and God. But now in the New Testament it says that we are a nation of priests. God wants to use you Part of your identity is as, as a minister of reconciliation, as someone that's going to live out God's mission, every single one of you. Some of us, we go, man, I'm just waiting to hear that call. Like, God, was it Indi like, like or orphans in India? Okay, I'm going, right? But God's laid it out right here. He's like, wherever you are, live out my mission. Work for reconciliation of all things, and especially the human heart. And so, listen, we need to see this as part of our identity, Christians, especially those of us in this place and in this country. We need to see that our identity is to be ambassadors for Christ, okay? That's the first way we've got to change our thinking. If we're going to mature in mission, we've got to think through the idea that God wants to use us if we, put our if we have put our faith in Jesus as his missionaries wherever we are. All right, the next second way that we got to think about God's mission is this, and I see this in the text, is mission goes much better in community. Mission goes a lot better in community. And even look at Paul and Barnabas. They basically get into a debate about who can I take with us, right? And so then Paul, Barnabas goes his way with John Mark, and they're still living out mission, then Paul, he doesn't go by himself. He takes some guy named Silas, and he goes, and then he finds some guy named Timothy, and he's like, here's the circumcision, come on. And then they go. Mission works much better in community. It just does. And so we have to think through that idea. If we're going to be missionaries of God, like that first thought says, we have to think through the idea that it works much better in community. And this is how it plays out. Listen, I know some of you are introverted in here, and you... You go to a party and you talk to two people and then you go throw up in the bathroom or whatever it is, right? What you do is go to your Christian friend who just talks a ton 
and likes sharing the gospel and likes talking to people and invite them to that party where your non-Christian friends are too. Do that. And then when they're sharing the gospel, we'll be like, yeah, yeah, totally. Or whatever, like that, that counts for you. That counts for you, all right? All right, and so there's no counting, just, just to clarify. But, and, and it just works so much better in community. Or some of us in here, we're in our redemption communities, and, and we know that there's some people in our communities who, um, they, we'll phrase it this way, they lack tact, right? And this is what I mean, like you're standing in line with them somewhere, and someone's like, man, it's been hot in Flagstaff lately. And, the, and they're just like, yeah, well, you know what, hell's hot too, Right? <laughs> So don't go there, right? And, and you're like, well, hey, uh, and you have to be there. You need to be there for that friend and say, well, this, I mean, hell probably is hot, but uh, uh, I don't know. Oh, just will you come to church or whatever? And so we need, the, we need the body of Christ, and mission works much better in community. It just does. And if we're going to be mature people, mature missionaries for God, we got to get through this idea that we're not individuals for Christ. We're a body of believers for Christ. And so mission works much better in community. And this is the way it plays out. Whenever I hang out with non-Christians, I try to invite other Christians with me. One or two. We used to do this thing. We used to go to the Lumberyard a lot on Thursday nights for trivia. And I'd invite my non-Christian friends, and then I would invite my Christian friends. And all the time... My Christian friends would do a great job having a spiritual conversation or sharing the gospel with my non-Christian friends who I saw all the time. This is what it looks like. It's real simple. I'm not trying to say, look how good I am. No, I'm, I'm afraid to share the gospel, so I bring my other friends. Mission goes better with together. Okay, so those are the first two ideas. God wants to use you for his mission, and then God sees mission as being better together, and so did the early church. So this third thing that we need to think through when it comes to mission is how do we be all things to all people? How do we be all things to all people? So if you were here last week and you heard this whole big like meeting and gathering of Christians that's in Acts where they said, hey, no one has to get circumcised. And then you get, you're here this week and Paul's like, Tim, hey, you got to get circumcised. You kind of go, that sounds like a contradiction, <laughs> Unless we look further in, in, in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 through 23, I think it helps us understand what Paul and Timothy were doing here. And it says this, and you guys could read on the screen, but I'll read it out loud for us. For though, this is Paul talking to the Corinthians, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all, that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though, though not myself, being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. To the weak, I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some, I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I might share with them in its blessings. So we see why Paul had Timothy circumcised. It's not so Timothy lives his faith out better in the sense of like he's going to get to heaven faster or God's going to be more approved of him. No, it's because he wanted to be a Jew to the Jews. He wanted to be under the law to those under the law, even though he himself was only under God's law and no one else's. 
I find that amazing that Paul just went and said, hey, I'm going to be all things to all people. And so did Timothy. Timothy said, I'm going to be all things to all people. And we need to think through for ourselves, what does it mean for us in the city of Flagstaff, in the places we live and reside, to be all things to all people? Because I get in a lot of conversations about you guys and your non-Christian friends. And here's how it goes a lot. Oh, man, Anthony, yeah, I've got all these non-Christian friends at work, and they just cuss all the time, and I just can't handle it. Or, Anthony, you know, i got all these non-Christian friends, and their, their value system is just totally out of control, and I just can't handle it, and I don't know how to relate to them. And, 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 and this is my response. Yeah, that makes sense. You believe in a guy who's, who says he's God, who says he was born from a virgin, Our value systems are going to be different. But how are you going to be all things to all people? Now listen, don't put yourself in situations with sinners where you're going to sin alongside them. If there's that stuff going on, use wisdom. Don't do that. Don't do that. That's just wisdom to not cause yourself to sin. But there are plenty of ways to be all things to all people without being in sinful situations or without sinning yourself. For instance... If you're at work and your whole work loves the Cardinals, you better start watching the Cardinals. I'm serious. You Husbands, you can tell your wives. I said it. <laughs> but you also need to serve and love your wives. Uh, but you, you don't need to watch every moment of every game, but maybe just know some of the names of the players and be like, oh, hey, this one's a Christian. Can I share the gospel with you? Or whatever. Like, Figure that out. Figure out how, what it means to be all things to all people because Paul figured it out. And they were all sinful people. And they all had different kinds of sins, but somehow Paul figured out how to be all things to all people. And so did Timothy. And we need to ask ourselves that question. What does it mean for you and for me to be all things to all people? Okay, so those are our first three thoughts. First thought, God wants to use you for his mission. Second thought, God wants to use us as a community. Mission goes better in community. And then this third thought, how do we be all things to all people? All right, fourth thought, this final way that I think we need to change our thinking is we got to ask ourselves this question, though, to change it, is do I chase comfort or do I chase God's mission, okay? Do I chase comfort or do I chase God's mission? In this story, the people of God chase God's mission, And I'm really convicted by that thought myself because a lot of times I'll be living out God's mission, whether it's just loving and caring for people or sharing the gospel. But the second it gets uncomfortable, I recoil. And I go, well, no, that's a boundary. I can't go past that boundary. Could you imagine if Timothy said that? Right? He, Timothy doesn't say that. He's chasing God's mission, and he's being wise, and he's being led by the Spirit. And the Spirit leads him, I think, to get circumcised. It's not comfortable to get circumcised. Okay? So Timothy was willing to be uncomfortable in order to reach the lost. And I just wonder sometimes, looking at my own heart, do I like comfort so much more than I like God's mission? Do I chase after comfort so much more than I chase after God's mission? And I'm sad to say, I think sometimes the answer is yes. Now listen, you can be comfortable. You don't have to wear like sackcloth and walk around like that, right? You can have, like, listen, come to my living room. There's lots of pillows, right? 
But the moment I start chasing comfort and the moment all my decisions are based on my comfort is the moment I'm forgetting my identity as a missionary for God, my identity as an ambassador, my identity as a minister of reconciliation. So we have to change the way we think about mission. If we're going to mature in mission, if we're going to persevere in mission, we got to start thinking these ways. We gotta think through this idea that God wants to use us for his mission. We gotta think through this idea that mission is better in community. That we gotta think through the idea, what does it mean for me and for you to be all things to all people? And we gotta be honest with ourselves and ask ourselves, do I chase comfort more than I chase God's mission? Because the people of God, at least in these passages, it seems they chase God's mission more. Listen, you could go away from here you could leave, and now you have four new rules, right? Four new rules to live out God's mission. And I don't want that for you because you're going to crumble under it. You're not going to do it. Or maybe I'm speaking for myself. I'm not going to be able to live this out for very long. The only way to live this out well is we, if we look to Jesus and we see that he did all these things and more in order to save us. And so then when we do these things, it is an act of our relationship with God. It is an act of worship to Jesus. Right? Jesus came to earth knowing he had a mission. Right? He didn't come to play. He came because he had a mission. Now I think Jesus probably played, so don't take that out of context. But Jesus had a very intentional mission to live out. Right? If I'm God and I'm coming to earth, I'm being born in a castle and I have superpowers, right? Jesus chose to come to live out his mission, to be a servant, to show us who he is through his love. Jesus even thought mission was better in community. Jesus has these 12 guys that live with him and hang out with him for 12 years. Or I mean, three years, sorry. That was like, wow. Uh, for three years. And they live out mission together, and God sends them out to bring his kingdom, to reconcile all things. And there's even a story where God takes 72 people this is more than just the disciples, and sends them out, and they live out God's mission, and they're reconciling things, and they're bringing God's kingdom. Even Jesus, who doesn't need us, thought mission goes better in community because part of how God is reconciling things is through you and through me by the power of the Spirit. So Jesus lived out that mission. Jesus was all things to all people. Like Jesus created the whole earth, and then he literally became a people, right? He, how much more all things, all people can you get to change and become a human to reach us and to save us? And so he becomes a person in order. He's fully man and he's fully God in order to save us. And then what's more is you just read through the Gospels and you see in a very practical sense, he was all things to all people too. Kids love him. Kids hang out with him. Kids are running up to him. His whole group of disciples were probably varying ages, but a lot of young men. Women, tons of women, like, supported Jesus' ministry and followed him. And even you see throughout the resurrection story, it's women who are at the forefront, who have not balked away from following Jesus. There's lepers. There's cheats, liars, steals, people steals, thieves. <laughs> that all hang out with Jesus. It's, it's common for Jesus to have a prostitute come just cry at his feet. 
you're, if you're not all things to all people, that doesn't happen. That just doesn't happen, especially if you're a rabbi in that time. You're a, a religious person in that time. Jesus was all things to all people so that you and I might be saved. And then finally, Jesus did not chase comfort. He chased God's mission. Right, he comes to earth, and when he starts his ministry, he begins to describe his ministry as him not having a home and him not having a bed or a place to lay his head. Jesus did not chase comfort, and he marched towards Jerusalem, where in Jerusalem, what goes down is one of his good friends, one of the guys he's been hanging out with, betrays him. They jump him in the middle of the night. They beat him. They spit on him. They make lies up about him, and then they decide, hey, we want to kill you for the things that are true about you the things that are true about you. After years of serving and loving this world, that's what happens. So then they throw him over to the Roman authorities, and the Roman authorities do all the same things. They whip him. They beat him. They say, oh, you're, you're being charged for being king of the Jews? Let's make a sign mocking you, and let's make you a crown of thorns and jam it in your head. And then Jesus has to carry his cross. He drops it. This guy, Simon, picks it up for him. He goes to the cross, and instead of roping him to the cross, which was normal, they nail him to the cross. In all of those moments, Jesus could have chased comfort. Jesus could have called angels. Jesus could have dipped out of there. And we even see in the prayer before all this happened, Jesus saying, God, Father, if there's a way that includes comfort, I'm cool with that. But not my will, your will. Essentially, not my will, but your mission, God, to reconcile all things. And so Jesus goes to the cross, and he dies. Even as he's dying, people are making fun of him. He's thirsty and has to drink vinegar water. Like, that's a youth group game challenge. Like, that's disgusting. And he dies, and then he comes back to life to share in life with us, to give us this resurrected life so that we could live with him. Jesus was all these things about mission. Jesus came with the mission. Jesus used community. Jesus was all things to all people, and Jesus did not chase comfort. He chased God's mission, his mission to redeem and reconcile all things. And so we need to gaze upon Jesus to live this out. We need to see how he, in a relational sense, has done that for us. Not in a sense of giving us some new rules, and these new rules are what give it, get us to heaven, but in a sense to say, man, I love you. You're mine. I want you. And so then when we put our faith in that, he changes our identity, and then that's how we live it out, out of knowing that this is the identity that Jesus has given us, the identity that Jesus has called us to. We need to, I think as a church and as a people, we need to be more mature in our mission. Because through Acts, they don't get to a point and then just stop mission. It seems like they get better and better at mission. How much more, 2,000 years later, should we get better at mission? Again, out of response for what Jesus did. Not to save ourselves. But our response, understand that God loves the earth and he wants to reconcile all things and so we need to love it and care for it too. Let's be a people that think, that are, that are serious about God's mission, that really care about God's mission and think through some things to change maybe how we do mission. Amen? Let's pray.
God, we love you. And we need you. God, thank you so much for the mission you have lived out for us. You sent your son to die for our sins. He dies for our sins, God, and he comes back to life. And then, God, you send the Holy Spirit, you send yourself, your spirit into us to live now. So, God, help us by the power of the Holy Spirit, by an understanding of the love that you've shown us, live out mission well. Help us to understand the identity you, give, you have given us to live out mission. God, help us to care about reconciling the earth and all things and people as much as you do. God, do that in our hearts right now. Cause us to care as much as you do. God, we love you and we need you. Amen.